what's happening in the world right now coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. House Republicans introducing what they call the most conservative election integrity bill in over 20 years. However, Democrats are strongly opposing the bill. We show you what the two sides have to say. Former President Trump is seeking a delay in the trial over classified documents. His attorneys explain why. Senate leaders debate if Congress can or even should regulate the U.S. Supreme Court. Democrats are dissatisfied with recent Supreme Court decisions. Western leaders gathering at the NATO summit in Lithuania. President Biden reacts to Turkey's U-turn on letting Sweden join NATO. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, a group of House Republicans meeting in Atlanta to discuss federal voting law ahead of the 2024 elections. They're introducing what they call America's most conservative election integrity bill in over 20 years. Here's what the bill would do. The Committee on House Administration held a field hearing in Atlanta, Georgia on Monday. Republicans introduced the American Confidence in Elections, or ACE Act, the ACE Act will restore voter confidence in our elections. Wisconsin Representative Brian Stile is the committee's chairman. He says the ACE Act will make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. If passed, the bill would require a photo ID to cast a federal election ballot, bar non-citizens from voting, require annual maintenance of voter rolls, and more. Fighting for election integrity is important, and we're prepared to win. The ACE Act is House Republicans' key election integrity bill. House Republicans chose Georgia to officially introduce the bill to show solidarity with a controversial state voter law Georgia passed in 2021. Democrats at the time made allegations of racism and voter suppression. The backlash went so far that Major League Baseball moved its all-star game from Atlanta. That cost the local economy over $100 million, according to some reports. At Monday's hearing, Democratic Congressman Joseph Morelli criticized the proposed ACE Act. He says Georgia's voting law from 2021 negatively affected voter turnout among minorities during the 2022 election. Um, there was a dramatic difference in race, uh, nearly 9 percent higher uh, voter turnout among white voters than non-white, um, and that is um, higher than any general election disparity uh, in the past decade. He says the ACE Act will have a similar effect. However, even if the bill passes the GOP-controlled House, it'll most likely fail in the Democrat-held Senate or on the president's desk. Lawyers for former President Trump have asked the court to postpone the trial for the documents case against him. In a filing Monday night, the attorneys cited the upcoming election as a reason to delay the trial. They said proceeding to trial while leading up to a presidential election will create extraordinary challenges in the jury selection process. They added, quote, the court should therefore withdraw the current order setting trial and any, postpone any consideration of a new trial date. The Justice Department is asking for a trial in mid-December. A diplomatic win for President Biden as Turkey drops its refusal to let Sweden join NATO. Joining us now is NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tau. She's in Lithuania's capital where NATO leaders are gathering today. Iris, what's the latest development there? 
So the NATO summit here in Vilnius, Lithuania, kicked off today on a relatively positive note. And Turkey last night made a sudden U-turn by now agreeing to support Sweden's bid to join NATO. And that, of course, solves a major headache for both NATO and Sweden, which are trying to strengthen their defense against Russia. But this development only comes after intense lobbying by Western leaders, including President Biden, who last week hosted a Swedish prime minister at the White House and just yesterday called the Turkish president. And today, while at the NATO summit, President Biden says he looks forward to an expanded alliance. The first time that NATO leaders will meet 31 together and looking forward to meeting very soon with 32 members with the addition of Sweden. And the White House at a press conference this morning in Vilnius says that it's now going to move forward with F-16 cells to Turkey, but also stresses that it's not part of any deal. President Biden has been clear and unequivocal for months that he supported the transfer of F-16s to Turkey, that uh, this is in our national interest, it's, and he intends to move forward with that transfer in consultation with Congress. And all this comes as another country, Ukraine, also wants to join NATO. But President Biden made clear last weekend that this would not be the right time, as doing so would mean that the entire NATO would be pulled into the war with Russia. But today the White House added this. Ukraine has further steps to take along its reform path. But allies will send a united positive signal on Ukraine's path to future member membership in the alliance. And President Biden is set to meet with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky on Wednesday on the sidelines of the two-day NATO summit. And in that evening, President Biden is set to make a major speech about America's position on the world stage. Thank you, Iris. As world leaders gather in Lithuania, Ukrainian soldiers on the front line are calling on NATO to invite Kyiv in. They warn it may be the only way to end war with Russia once and for all. Had we been a NATO member state, this war would have never happened. That's what I believe. Therefore, in the future, after we win, I hope we will join NATO. Ukraine's forces have made some headway in their summer counteroffensive, although the gains are slow and smaller than many had hoped for. Povar, an infantryman who only gave his call sign, admits the Russians are well dug in. But he says his unit had recently captured a village on the southeastern part of Ukraine's front line. NATO itself should want the Ukrainian army to be part of its alliance. They have seen what kind of men we are, what kind of people we are, and what we are capable of. President Volodymyr Zelensky concedes that Ukraine will probably not be allowed into the alliance while the war with Russia is raging. Kyiv sees membership as the ultimate deterrent against Russia attacking Ukraine again. That feeling is shared on the front lines. When we have such a miserable neighbor, then we need to join some kind of alliance, join the civilized world, to have serious support and serious partners. I hope this will be the last war in Ukraine. Ukraine has stepped up its efforts to join NATO after Russia invaded last year. While Eastern European countries say a path toward membership should be explored, the U.S. and Germany not so enthusiastic. Here's a look at the steps Ukraine has taken to gain NATO membership. What would happen if Ukraine joined NATO? After Russia invaded last year, Ukraine stepped up its efforts to join NATO. We shall be free, strong and of course in need. 
Ukraine argues that the security assurances given by Moscow, Washington and London when it relinquished its nuclear arsenal to Russia in 1994 were clearly worthless. While Eastern European countries say some sort of a roadmap should be offered to Kiev, the U.S. and Germany are wary of any move that might take the alliance closer to war with Russia. Russian President Putin has cited NATO's expansion towards Russia's borders over the past two decades as a key reason for its decision to invade Ukraine. NATO, of course, is being drawn into the war in Ukraine. So what steps need to be taken? Any expansion of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization must be agreed by all 31 members. In 2008, NATO leaders agreed that Ukraine, a former Soviet state, could eventually join the alliance. But they did not give Kiev a so-called membership action plan, or MAP. This was U.S. President George Bush in 2008. I strongly believe Ukraine and Georgia should be given MAP. And uh, there's no trade-offs, period. Under the MAP process, candidates have to prove they meet political, economic and military criteria and are able to contribute militarily to NATO operations. Since 1999, most countries, including former communist ones, aiming to join NATO have participated in a MAP, although this procedure is not mandatory. Finland and Sweden, formerly neutral states which worked closely with NATO, were invited to join the alliance directly. It's unclear what Ukraine's path to membership will look like as more and more countries, including Britain and Germany, suggest skipping the MAP process. That is an active discussion among allies right now, whether Ukraine has in fact moved beyond the need for MAP. Ukraine's military has taken major steps towards NATO standards since Russia's all-out invasion. The process is accelerating as its Soviet-built arms and ammunition gradually run out and the West trains Ukrainian troops according to NATO standards and sends more and more advanced weaponry. They are now very experienced in, in the utilization of NATO standard equipment. NATO doctrine and NATO uh, tactics. So ho however long it might otherwise have taken Ukraine to join NATO, their actions will inevitably have shortened that timescale. So why is Ukrainian membership so sensitive? A mutual assistance clause lies at the heart of the NATO alliance. It's cited as one of the main reasons why Ukraine cannot join NATO while in conflict with Russia as this might immediately draw the alliance into an act of war. The Kremlin portrays the expansion as evidence of Western hostility to Russia. Western powers deny this, saying the alliance is wholly defensive in nature. Moscow has said it would cause problems for many years to come if Ukraine joined NATO and has warned of an unspecified response to ensure its security. To explore more about the NATO summit, Sweden's upcoming membership, and Ukraine's bid, I spoke with Colonel John Mills, former director of cybersecurity policy at the DOD. Colonel John Mills, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Always an honor to be on your show. Colonel, what do you think changed Turkey's mind about granting Sweden membership to NATO? Well, I think Erdogan is a is a shrewd negotiator, and I, I'm sure 
there was a number of things that he uh, uh, that he pushed for that he probably received uh, as part of the negotiation for allowing Sweden in. I mean, a lot of these things are not publicly advertised, but I'm I'm sure there's a there's a there's a list of things that Erdogan asked for, and uh, it appears that he got. Now, Colonel, President Biden today called the NATO summit in Lithuania historic. Uh, it could have major implications for the United States as well as the West more broadly. What's the significance of this summit and how could it impact the Russia-Ukraine war? Well, it's the optics of the gathering are a, a statement in itself against Russia. Uh, I think Biden and I think much of NATO, even with the conflict in Ukraine, has been distracted from the real issue in the Pacific and worldwide with China. But it, this also is also a message of unity toward uh, China also, this gathering. I think the challenge is um, expectations and any kind of uh, the discussion of possible uh, Ukrainian membership in NATO. Uh, I, I think could be potentially counterproductive. Um, you, Ukraine has been lobbying to join NATO ahead of the summit for a while now. Um, what would it mean if Ukraine actually does join NATO? Well, see, this is the challenge. It would cross a Russian red line. And uh, we've been very uh, reticent, Obama, Trump, even Biden, reticent about NATO uh, membership. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not clear on whether there's been a change in, in the Biden administration policy on this. Russia has made it clear that is a red line. And I'm not taking sides on this. I'm nonpartisan and agnostic. It is an advance forward that uh, could be perceived as provocative by Russia. And is it necessary? Uh, I, I, am, I am not taking sides in the conflict in any way. We want to provide Ukraine with, with arms so they can defend themselves and make it a, a, an equivalent or fair fight. This is a big step forward if that's what's going on. Now, if Russia was provoked, you know, they have a huge nuclear arsenal, the largest in the world. Um, you know, people are really concerned about uh, how Ukraine joining NATO, as well as uh, Sweden and Finland joining NATO, could provoke Russia. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's it. It is a, a Putin has been clear that is a red line for uh, meaning do not cross this. Uh, so that would be quite provocative. Uh, right now, we are undergunned in the nuclear arena. We're we're slightly smaller on strategic warheads roughly 1450 deployed versus Russia's roughly 1600. But there is effectively no treaties in effect at this point in time. Russia is withdrawn. So there are no treaties on nuclear weapons in this world uh, uh, that, that people are really following. Uh, there are uh, non-proliferation non treaties. Uh, we need to be realistic. Uh, people are just not following these treaties. And uh, so it's a, it's a grave concern. Russia has moved uh, nuclear weapons into Belarus. Why? Um, it makes, it gives the appearance of a, uh, they've redeployed nuclear weapons. It's also great from a uh, targeting perspective. So uh, if uh, those nukes are attacked, uh, the Russians don't have to worry about their terrain and turf being, uh, being attacked. It's Belarus that takes the, uh, 
takes the pain of a counterstrike. Colonel John Mills, thank you so much for your time. Chris, thank you so much. An honor to be on your show. After the break, hospitals are testing out Google's medical AI chatbot. The MedPalm 2 system could shake up healthcare. And as Meta head Mark Zuckerberg funds efforts to defund the police, he spends millions of dollars for security for his family and offices. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. The U.S. Marines are without a confirmed leader for the first time in 164 years. That's after Marine Corps Commandant General David Berger's retirement. I believe that the Marine Corps is in good hands now with General Smith. But Chairman Reed and the Democrats are so concerned, let's vote. That's all I keep asking for. Let's vote on these nominees. The Marines still have Assistant Commandant General Eric Smith, but the Pentagon is blaming Senator Tuberville for blocking the official confirmation of Smith, along with more than 250 fast-tracked military promotions. Tuberville says he will continue to block them due to the military's abortion policy. Under the new policy, the Pentagon pays for time off and travel for military members to get an abortion if the procedure is not legal in the state where they are stationed. Tuberville says once the policy is changed, he will allow the promotions to go through. The Pentagon has said Tuberville is causing a national security concern. There are other ways the Senate can move the nominations forward if they choose to use alternative routes. U.S. military readiness is in, quote, serious trouble, according to retired U.S. Navy officer Lieutenant Stephen Rogers. It's not just that the Marine Corps is without leadership. The Air Force is cutting bonuses. And there's talk of low munitions in the U.S. What's going on here? I spoke with Lieutenant Rogers to find out. Lieutenant Stephen Rogers, thank you for joining us. Well, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Lieutenant, why is the Marine Corps without a leader for the first time in 100 years? I would say for the first time in 100 years, our government, and particularly in this case the Congress, is using the military as pawns to get other legislation uh, address. Now, look, uh, Senator Tuberville, I believe he's the individual blocking this uh, over an abortion issue. I support the senator's uh, policy on abortion, but what I do not support, and I believe most Americans do not support, is to link that to the uh, promotion of a commandant of the U.S. Marines, which, by the way, Chris, is having a ripple effect uh, in every rank in the United States Marines, and as well as a very negative effect on the morale and welfare of our troops. And to the sky, the Air Force is suspending personnel moves and bonuses until next year. Is this unusual? Well, it's unusual uh, in this respect. Uh, and I've spoken to some people in the Air Force who I know. Uh, you know, when you're sending billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine, you seem to have a, a, enough money to supply them with the weapons that they are requesting in fighting that war. But why don't you have enough weapon, enough money uh, to uh, give bonuses, to give increases? And by the way, Chris, Recruitment in the United States military, let alone the Air Force, is extremely low. They can't get people to join. And now they're uh, picking the pockets, if you will, of those already in. So I would expect early retirements and an even more critical situation regarding manpower shortages, not only in the Air Force, but across the board. You mentioned funding Ukraine. 
Um, all this that we're talking about comes as President Biden seemingly said in an interview Sunday that the U.S. is low in artillery ammunitions, and several retired military personnel have said that U.S. ammunition in general is running low due to arming Ukraine. What do you make of all this? I'll tell you, Chris, I may, might be one of the few who don't buy that. Uh, I, I find it hard to believe that uh, we're running low on munitions uh, in Ukraine when we had a Vietnam War, never ran low on munitions, Korean War, World War II. I can't recall any war that we ever ran low on munitions saying that. I'm being led to believe that this may be the excuse as to why we're sending those horrific cluster bombs to Ukraine. I think the president uh, uh, revealed something very troubling. Uh, I don't believe it, uh, but regardless of what I believe or anyone here believes, our enemy is watching this. Our enemies are seeing what's going on and what he's saying. But I don't believe it at this point. Hopefully, you know, Congress likes hearings. Maybe they'll have another hearing about this and get down to the truth. Given all this, what's the overall state of the U.S. military and military readiness right now? Well, I believe readiness is in serious trouble, primarily because of the, uh, the inability of the U.S. military, at least for the first time in my lifetime, to attract young people into the services. Uh, this woke agenda has devastated the military, has destroyed it. I've spoken to military officers as well as those in the enlisted ranks. You know, when I was in, Chris, I wanted to stay in. I made a career out of it. Now we got young kids going in, wanting to get out as fast as they could. Uh, so uh, uh, it's having a very, very bad effect. The leadership of the U.S. military has been uh, very, very poor. And look, I've, I, I believe that whoever becomes president of the United States, first thing they got to do is clean house, get rid of that entire Joint Chiefs of Staff, replace the leadership teams in the military from the Joint Chiefs all the way down to the ranks. Lieutenant Stephen Rogers, thank you again for your time. Chris, thank you very much. From the military to the justice system, Senate leaders from both parties gave opposing views on whether or not Congress should step in and try to regulate the Supreme Court. Sadly, Americans' faith in the judiciary is at an all-time low after the extreme MAGA right captured the Supreme Court. In the last few weeks, this MAGA majority on the court has gutted affirmative action, blocked student debt relief for millions of Americans, and greenlit discrimination against the LGBTQ community. What we're seeing at the Supreme Court is a sickening hypocrisy. Congress has clear authority to oversee the federal judiciary, and that includes making sure that the highest court in the land is held to equally high ethical standards. In response, Washington Democrats offered a fresh example of just how profoundly they misunderstand the court and its role in our government. The president, who has flirted with calls for court packing, warned ominously that a co-equal branch was not a normal court. The Democratic leader, who threatened justices by name from the steps of the court, branded it as MAGA. And this month, the Judiciary Committee will attempt to force the court to restructure itself Democrats have been unsatisfied with recent decisions by the Supreme Court and have pushed for changes. Calls to put more justices on the Supreme Court have grown. Republicans have objected to such changes. Packing the court would likely lead to favoring Democrat policies in the short term. But President Biden told MSNBC that adding more justices to the court would politicize it in a way that is not healthy. Democrats would most likely need to hold a majority in the Senate, the House, and hold the presidency to expand the court. They would have to add four seats to get past the current six to three majority of conservatives to liberal justices. 
Now turning our attention to state politics, a judge yesterday ordered Kansas to stop allowing transgender people to change their gender listed on their driver's licenses. The state's Democratic Governor Laura Kelly and Republican Attorney General Chris Kobach have been at odds over the issue, and the Attorney General filed a lawsuit against officials at the Kansas Department of Revenue. Kobach cited a new law this month that defines a person's sex based on the biological reproductive system identified at birth. He argued that's why people could not change the sex on their driver's license and that any past changes should be reversed. Shawnee County District Court Judge Teresa Watson issued the temporary restraining order on Monday. The order is in effect for 14 days and can be modified by the court. Several hospitals are now testing Google's medical AI chatbot. The service is expected to shake up healthcare. The chatbot is called MedPalm2. Fox News sources say Google has been testing the chatbot in hospitals since April. A Google researcher was reportedly was heard saying that the medical chatbot could serve as a healthcare assistant in countries with poor access to doctors. MedPalm2 is an update of the Palm2 language model Google announced earlier this year. Emails obtained by the Wall Street Journal show Google is betting on MedPalm2 to offer better medical advice since Google fed it questions and answers from medical licensing exams. It's not yet known if the program could become a bona fide part of healthcare clinics and research centers. A senior researcher has said the project is still in the early stages. Social media giant Meta, owner of Facebook and Instagram, plans to label government-affiliated accounts on its new Twitter-like platform, Threads. A Meta executive revealed the plan during an Australian inquiry on foreign interference on Tuesday. The disclosure comes less than a week after Meta launched Threads. The site is widely seen as similar to Twitter. Speaking at the Senate inquiry, Meta's head of public policy for Australia said the company was concerned by an Australian proposal. It would give Australia's media regulator the power to fine social media companies over misinformation. Twitter decided earlier this year to stop labeling government-affiliated accounts. It started labeling them in 2020, but that caused an uproar among some pu political, some public media that didn't like the labels. The Florida Attorney General wants to hear from Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg. That's over pred predators using Meta platforms to recruit victims of human trafficking. Ashley Moody is calling on Zuckerberg to appear before the statewide council. In a news release on Monday, the council said since 2019, more than half of Florida's cases involved Instagram, Facebook, Messenger, and WhatsApp. The Attorney General's office says these platforms are the preferred social media apps used to lure vulnerable people. Prosecutors want Zuckerberg and Meta to address the public threat and develop ways to discourage the activity. The Florida Attorney General is demanding a response from Zuckerberg by September 5th. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg spent $43 million on security over the past three years. Meanwhile, his family foundation is giving millions of dollars to groups working to defund the police. Investigative reporter Lee Fang said the organizations receiving funding from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative include PolicyLink, which runs defundpolice.org, and Solidaire, another organization that wants to get rid of police. Solidaire issued a report saying it helped strip away $18 million from the budget of the Oakland Police Department. But Zuckerberg's foundation also gives money to a group tied to police in the areas around its own offices, as well as around Meta's offices. Meta also spends highly on personal security for Zuckerberg and his family. 
Documents show the company gives reasons such as Zuckerberg's importance to the company, his $1 annual salary, and his lack of incentive compensation. The CEO is allowed to spend the security funds on his jiu-jitsu training and residential improvement. James Lewis, a Massachusetts man who served time for extortion in Tylenol deaths 40 years ago, has been found dead. Cambridge police responded to a call of an unresponsive person in a home Sunday. Shortly after their arrival, James Lewis was declared deceased. In 1982, Lewis sent Johnson & Johnson a letter vowing to stop the deaths by poison Tylenol if the company gave him a $1 million payout. He was referring to seven Chicago area killings that were caused by extra strength Tylenol capsules that were laced with potassium cyanide. Lewis was jailed for extortion. No one has ever been charged in the killings. Ever been behind on paying your credit card bills on time? Then you likely have incurred late fees that can take a serious bite out of your wallet. The federal government is trying to change that to make it less painful for consumers. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has proposed new rules. It's proposing to slash late fees for an average of 41 bucks to $8 per violation. The 100% minimum payment requirement companies can charge would also be reduced to 25%. Consumers would also have a 15-day grace period for people late, paying late. The banking industry opposes the changes. Bankers say the changes would hurt the industry's bottom line. Small business confidence climbed to a seven-month high in June, according to the National Federation of Independent Business. Its Small Business Optimism Index released today shows that pessimism about the economic outlook is diminishing and sales expectations are improving. However, optimism about the business environment is still below the index's 49-year average. The survey showed that small businesses are still concerned about a tight labor market and inflation. Here to break all this down for us is NTD Business's Don Ma. So Don, small business confidence is improving. What does that mean for the economy? Well, Chris, first of all, what we have to understand is that small businesses is really what makes up the U.S. economy. You know, in, in the news, we frequently hear about how big companies are doing, you know, like Walmart, Apple, Microsoft. But those companies only make up a fraction of the total number of businesses. So well, what are we talking about here when we talk about small businesses? It's those corner stores or your neighborhood barber or flower shops down the street. And according to the National Federation of Independent Businesses Small Business Optimism Index, it shows that optimism is going up. And what does that mean then? It means they're seeing consumers coming into their stores, they're seeing consumers spend, and that's making them more confident about the future of their business. There are some somewhere around 33 million small businesses in the U.S., according to some estimates, and they make up about 99% of all U.S. businesses. So it's significant when optimism is going up because that means they're going to hire more and they're going to invest more money into their businesses, which can create more jobs. And looking at the sentiment of small businesses is very important, not only because they make up a big portion of the economy, but also because they deal with consumers more directly than bigger businesses. So small businesses really has a pulse on the economy. You can argue they have a front row seat. So looking at their sentiment can be a leading economic indicator, and that's important. Major U.S. banks are set to report the biggest jump in loan losses since the COVID-19 pandemic. 
This is as rising interest rates put mounting pressure on borrowers across the country. America's top lenders are expected to release their second quarterly earnings reports. That's financial institutions like J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, and BlackRock. Credit cards are a big source of loan losses for the big six for the, for the quarter. Bank analysts predict that J.P. Morgan will write off a total of $1.1 billion in unpaid credit card payments, up from the $600 million in the same period in 2022. Commercial reels are Real estate loans are also hurting the industry as landlords face reduced payments for office space as remote and hybrid work continues to keep occupancy rates historically low. Wells Fargo, which had the largest exposure to commercial property market, told investors in July that it suffered an additional $1 billion in loan loss provisions to cover potential losses, mainly in the office market. Bank of America on Tuesday agreed to pay $250 million dollars in fines and compensation. This is to settle claims that the bank systematically double-charged customers with fees and without promised credit card perks and open accounts without customer authorization. Bank of America agreed to pay $100 million in restitution to harmed consumers and another $150 million in civil penalties. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau said that Bank of America reaped hundreds of millions of dollars by charging multiple fees to customers who did not have enough funds in their accounts from February 2018 until February 2022. The Bureau has launched a crackdown on, on a range of so-called junk fees, including overdraft and non-sufficient fund fees. It says lenders unfairly charge customers for banking services. Coming up, U.S. lawmakers visit Minnesota to hear about the impact of America's trade on policies on agriculture and critical supply chains. We take a look at the WHO's One Health approach. Some are calling it a Trojan horse for the CCP. That story after the break. Welcome back. On Monday afternoon, the U.S. House Committee on Ways and Means held its fifth field hearing in Kimball, Minnesota. The hearing was focused on learning from local communities about the impact of America's trade policies on agriculture and critical supply chains. NTD's Angela Moy has more. Representatives from Minnesota's farmers, ranchers, and mining communities testified before the committee. Don Schiffelbind, a cattle producer, raised his concern about policies made by lawmakers without agriculture knowledge. Prop 12 from California is a perfect example of people three generations removed from agriculture dictating how livestock should be raised. This short-sighted legislation not only hurts the manner in which livestock are raised, but will substantially increase the cost of food. Proposition 12 regulates the space standard for housing farm animals. It prohibits farm owners from knowingly selling farm animals raised cruelly. Brett Vode, owner of Dorage Dairy, says trade agreements failed to protect American farmers' interests. Canada has continued to fall short of their commitments to the United States, failing to uphold its USMCA dairy tariff quota obligations, by providing preferential treatment to their domestic producers. 
Gary Vertish, president of the Minnesota Farmers Union, highlights the impact of corporate consolidation on the agriculture and food system. Our farm and food system have become highly consolidated with a small handful of companies controlling the inputs farmers rely upon along with the markets we need to access to sell our products. The rise of these highly consolidated middlemen is a key reason that farmers' share of each dollar spent on food has declined from 50% in 1952 to just 14% in 2021, the lowest on record. Tom Bark, a minerals expert, says the Biden administration has blocked domestic mining, which could provide a large supply of critical minerals for the clean energy transition. It's no secret that China has a monopoly on many of the world's critical mineral supply chains. We must act now to accelerate our investment in mining capacity here in the U.S. Our critical mineral supply chains will become even more jeopardized than they already are. The witnesses also discussed the need for immigration reform to ease farm labor shortage and create new markets for American agricultural products. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. The WHO's One Health Plan is billed as a comprehensive way to respond to global health threats such as the COVID-19 pandemic. But is there more to it than that? NTD's Daniel Monahan speaks with intelligence analyst Brian O'Shea. One Health is defined by the World Health Organization as an integrated, unifying approach to balance and optimize the health of people, animals, and the environment. But intelligence analyst Brian O'Shea says its mission has changed over the last 20 years. It's been morphing into this almost like a Trojan horse to bring in a whole new form of governance across all the member countries. Not only lays out your approach to health as a country, but it also lays out how you should invest your money, how you should raise your food, how you should use your land. O'Shea says One Health is the governance that is built into the pandemic treaty at the WHO, which will be voted on next year. That treaty would unify the response of the U.S. and other countries during a health emergency. O'Shea is wary of what he sees as China's outsized influence in the WHO. Dr. Tedros, the director of the WHO, can simply snap his fingers, say there's a global health emergency or a, a new pandemic, and everyone falls under the treaty, they get locked down, whatever he wants, but you fall under these One Health rules, which again are at the core of the pandemic treaty. The pandemic treaty also contains guidelines for combating so-called false or misleading information during a disease outbreak. One Health facilities already exist throughout the U.S. O'Shea says if a pandemic is declared, such institutions would activate like sleeper agents and start following the One Health initiatives. According to O'Shea, one serious danger lies in One Health's control over biosafety level 4 laboratories. He wonders how people would know if a future pandemic is real or not when control of the labs would be subjugated to One Health. The intelligence analyst believes that this is all part of a Chinese Communist Party plan, alluding to a book written in 1999 by two Chinese army colonels called Unrestricted Warfare. The book says that everything is a battlefield and everyone is a target and describes unconventional tactics to hobble an enemy. Illicit narcotic warfare, you know, flood a country with a highly addictive illegal narcotic that will overwhelm their public health system. Well, fentanyl, the two main ingredients, come from Wuhan. O'Shea says another such tactic is to create four enemies for your enemy or employ cultural warfare. Where you 
convince a country's youth or their very impressionable population to hate their country. More of the um, hating America, trying to change the history, tearing down the statues, tearing down the history. I mean, this is all right out of the, um, not only the unrestricted warfare handbook, but also out of the cultural revolution uh, that happened in China in the 60s and the early 70s. O'Shea says it's communities that make a nation strong. He is calling on people to get off their computers and to go out and form bonds with their neighbors. The intelligence analyst says patriotism is one of the key elements of security and national defense, and that a people committed to defend what is theirs is tough to conquer. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Still to come, gray whales in the Mexican lagoon love to approach people's boats. A rare sight elsewhere. What prompts this interaction? And a critically acclaimed director takes audiences back in time to the creation of the atomic bomb. Find out more about Christopher Nolan's latest film and the story behind it here on NTD News. Welcome back, everyone. Mexico's San Ignacio Lagoon witnesses amazing interactions with whales. Gray whales there approach boats seeking human touch. According to a marine biologist, whales come close to humans looking for help to pick off uncomfortable parasites, but others say these lice have benefits too. They can help whales slough their skin, but since whales' skin is sensitive, the presence of lice could be annoying to them. When I was there with the gray whales, I also had these uh, whale life jumping onto my hand, and you can feel like a little, like a prick of a needle, sort of. And I can imagine if that's around the sensitive skin of a whale, around the eyes or the the, the lips of the mouth, it might be um might, might be annoying. This Mexican lagoon is a breeding ground for gray whales. During the 19th century, commercial whaling spurred whales to start attacking whaling ships, but since then the animals have been protected, and whaling in the area has stopped. Now locals have developed a special bond with the animals. A London auction house has some rare manuscripts to offer. Among the highlights is the first edition of The Great Gatsby, autographed by author F. Scott Fitzgerald. Christie's auction house says it's part of a massive collection that belonged to Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts. Other items up for sale include rare editions of books by George Orwell, Agatha Christie, and James Joyce. They could sell anywhere from $1,000 to $383,000. The collection also includes memorabilia from jazz musician Charlie Parker, as well as scores belonging to American composers Irving Berlin and George Gershwin. The sale will take place on September 28th, as well as online from September 15th to the 29th. Critically acclaimed director Christopher Nolan is taking audiences back in time to the creation of the atomic bomb. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the man who oversaw the lab and who, in his own words, became death, destroyer of worlds. Christopher Nolan's upcoming movie follows the life and career of physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer. It's based on the 2005 biography American Prometheus by Kai Bird and Martin J. Sherwin. 
The director's biopic thriller Oppenheimer features a stellar cast, including Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., and Emily Blunt. I think that idea of the pursuit of advancement, but at what cost, you know? And yes, did this man um, create something to destroy the world to try and save it? It's just such a big idea. Killian Murphy plays J. Robert Oppenheimer, the theoretical physicist known as the father of the atomic bomb. But the thing with Chris's film is that there's no monitors. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't you don't see you don't I hadn't seen a frame frame of the film until the first trailer, I think. You know, and uh, and then I eventually got to see the film, and that actually is is a far more satisfying experience. Oppenheimer headed the secret Los Alamos laboratory, which President Franklin D. Roosevelt established for the Manhattan Project to build the first atomic bomb. The physicist oversaw the first detonation of a nuclear weapon in the New Mexico desert. The bomb was subsequently used in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in an effort to end World War II. The film forces you into this kind of three-hour contemplation that flies by because of the mastery of the filmmaking. But after it, and tell me if you felt this way, I was kind of like, I got some thinking to do. Nolan is known for his conceptual narratives and visual style in films like Inception and Tenet. I just thought to take the audience there, to be there in that room with these people as they had to make these horrifying decisions that have defined the world we now live in. Um, you know, what a remarkable, dramatic event to, to bring the audience to. Oppenheimer is set to hit theaters July 21st. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Tom Cruise attended the Mission Impossible 7 world premiere in New York. The much-anticipated release was delayed last year due to the COVID-19 pandemic response. Cruise signed autographs and posed for photographs with fans alongside co-stars Haley Atwell, Simon Pegg, and Rebecca Ferguson. The 60-year-old famously does most of his own stunts, and the film includes one of his most dangerous to date, riding a motorcycle off a mountain cliff, free-falling and parachuting down to safety. Cruise said part two of the film is around 40% done, and due out next summer. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.